0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42? It's page 602 if you're using the Bible that's in the chair or pew. to read just a few verses from 42 and just inform you before we read that this is the first of four what are called servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, Chapter 42, then chapter 49 and 50 also have sections of servant song. And then the great climax of the servant songs is Isaiah 53. And that's the great passage in which We read of his dying in the place of others and the most glorious statement in the Old Testament about the suffering servant's role in shedding his blood or dying in the place of sinners. So I want to read 42 in the light of its ultimate climax in 53. So we'll read a little bit of 42 and then read some in chapter 53. And then we're going to focus simply on one word, basically, in this short time we have this morning. And that is on the the simple phrase, behold, my servant, my servant. What does it mean that he was a servant given up to his father? And I think chapter 53 gives us a, a good opening of that. And then what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us that he is? Such a servant given up to the will of God. How does that embrace us? How does that minister to us? What does that mean for us at Christmas? We, we have to see the child in the manger with the eyes of faith. We have to survey all of the rich landscape that the scriptures have about him and bring it to bear on this child. So that we really understand something of who he is and what he means to us. He has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. We dealt with this passage last week and especially underscored that verse uh, 3 of the tenderness and kindness and mercy of this servant. For the very weakest and broken, he will bind them up and rescue them and pour balm into their wounds. Then if you look over to this fourth song, page 613, this is one of those cases in which the original chapters that were formed, not when the Bible was written, but by much later, that this was an unfortunate division. Okay, it really should have been in chapter 52, verse 13. That should be chapter 53. Okay, I said it. No, many others, of course, pointed that out. I'd like to read beginning with verse 3 of chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men. And by the way, back up to verse 12 of 52 and you can see, behold, my servant. Okay, so this all is about the same servant. He, my servant But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put into grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let us pray. O gracious Lord, we pray. Open up our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Bless us, Lord, to not only understand, but to embrace and believe. Give ourselves to your promise. Give ourselves to the Lord Jesus as he has revealed to us. Oh, Lord, bless us that we ourselves will be servants, that we ourselves will be utterly consecrated to the Father. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The whole idea of a servant is that he is his whole role, his whole definition isn't it, is to do the will of another. And in a sense he has no will of his own. He has no choices of his own. He has, in one sense, no desire of his own. His only desire is for his master. That's his very definition as a human being. Everything he does is defined by his relationship to the one that is his master. And it's interesting, then, when you read, especially in the book of John, Jesus' many statements about Whose will he has come to fulfill. Specifically, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Or those great words in John 4 where he says, my food, as they were asking him at the time, did somebody give him something to eat? They were concerned they they misunderstood his statement, but he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My whole passion is caught up in the will of God. Well, that's because, of course, he is the servant of God. This is speaking of his humanity. And I'm I'm touching on this because I began reading again uh, Roland Wallace's great work on Calvin's doctrine of the Christian life. And in the very first pages, He pulls from several places and the institutes and from commentaries on Calvin. And the whole idea of the Christian life is built around this idea of Christ giving himself away to the father. The whole of the Christian life built upon this idea of his doing the will of the father and consecrating his life to the father. And that's where chapter 53 comes in to tell us that the ultimate Meaning the ultimate expression of his doing the will of the father is that he gave his life to die for the sake of sinners. This is his act of priesthood. This is his act to come before the father and consecrate himself so completely to the father that he gives up his life literally to be given away literally into the hands of the father. And what's so glorious in this act, this servant who would give himself away throughout his whole life. The baptism is one of the marks of that as he took this baptism upon himself to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to continue to give himself away. His whole life was this constant expression of giving himself completely to the father. But in doing so. He did it for us. He did it as a man and we are united to him. And so we are caught up in this consecration to the father. So the fact that he says, behold, my servant, what I'm trying to underscore for you this morning is that in the New Testament theology, you are utterly, completely caught up. In that servant consecration and what Christ has done to present himself to the father, he did not do it as an individual. He did it for on behalf of representing his people. Now, if you think about the priest in the Old Testament, when they came before uh, that, when they went into the Holy of Holies, they bore The stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, they bore the names of the people of Israel and they did so, so that the people themselves were actually acting in the person of that one priest. It's as though in the person of this one man, as Calvin says, all entered the sanctuary together. Now, that's purposely pictured for us with the priesthood. And all the more, the reality in Christ, as he presents himself to the father in utter obedience and perfection and love and submission as his servant, he consecrates us with him and we are dedicated and consecrated to the father. He does not go before the father by himself. He goes before the father with us in tow. So that when you trust in Christ, you this ought automatically becomes, in a certain sense, my servants, because wherever the head is, there is the body in Christ. The head is joined to the body, joined to us, and in him we are given up and we are sacrificed up to the father. Let me read a very important passage, and this was a central, in fact, they say that Calvin could hardly talk about sanctification or holiness or obedience of being like God without this verse. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be. Sanctified or consecrated. It's the same word for their sake. I sanctify myself or consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. So we stand with the father under the precious umbrella and protection. You might say the patronage of Jesus Christ. We stand under the sponsorship of Jesus Christ. We stand associated eternally with Jesus Christ as though we ourselves had consecrated ourselves in that way before the Father. And that's the basis for your acceptance with God. And dear friend, there is no other way to be accepted by God except to trust in Christ and to rest in one who himself has perfectly consecrated himself to God and whose sacrifice is perfectly pleasing to God. It says even in our passage in Isaiah 42, my servant whom I uphold, he upholds him And of course, by his spirit, he does this. He says, I put my spirit upon him. He calls him my chosen in whom my soul delights. And hear this word at Christmas time. That if you want to be delighted in by the father, not just endured, that's not the message of the gospel. Not just that God will put up with you. That God will just refrain from punishing you but that God will take infinite, everlasting delight in you so that all of His passion and favor pours towards you at all times in every circumstance. You need to be found in Christ. You need to become a part of that consecration that Christ made with its ultimate expression on the cross Where he gave himself in the place of sinners to bear the punishment of God. And that consecration was perfectly pleasing to the Father. Let me ask you, how else will you appear before the Father except in and through this servant? How else will you be accepted and embraced by the Father? Will he look upon you in your sin just standing there on your own? With all of the thoughts and words and deeds that you know have been displeasing, we all are caught caught in the darkness of hurtful, of sinful hurt done to one another. Sinful hurt done to me, sinful hurt that I've done to other people. We all are just caught in the horrible darkness of this sinful hurt. And that's all we can be before the father in ourselves. But there is one, one born in love, one who was fully pleasing to the father from beginning to end, consecrating his life to the father. And in him we are made acceptable. So I want to ask you, at this time in singing hymns about Christ, joy to the world, there is no joy unless you're accepted by the Father. There is no joy in anything you do. Ultimately, if you can't in that thing taste the smile and favor of God, that's what life was meant to be. To live in fellowship and know That He delights in you. And you know that He cannot delight in you fully and infinitely unless you are hidden in that perfection and righteousness of Jesus Christ. you see, if you're associated with Him, if He is your patron, if He is your sponsor, if He is your covering, if He is your glory, if He is your King and He represents you, think how you... Find a light in the Father's eyes in Christ. In the person of this one, you have entered the sanctuary together. And there is no difference in the embrace that the Father has for his own son and he has for you. So that's one important aspect of this servanthood that Consecrates itself to God and consecrates us to God in that we are made acceptable to him. But also we are separated unto him in this. And this is encouraging for you and me in our effort to separate ourselves from all that displeases God and to give ourselves completely up to his will. We don't start at ground zero. We start as those by his grace to have been consecrated in Christ. That's part of the new life that we have in Christ. It's part of our new situation that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and under the domination of Satan and sin into the kingdom of his dear son under the power of Christ. With the life of the Spirit in us now. Now. And so we have been dedicated, consecrated in Christ. It cannot be any other way than that you already are dedicated to him, separated out for his use, his ownership. As Christ said, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. That they may be consecrated. And you see, that's the basis then for a passage like Romans 12. As those brought from the dead to life as living sacrifice now, present yourself to God. You see the idea that our whole life, that Paul is summing up the whole of your life now. In being consecrated to God, now we work that consecration out. We give ourselves up to his will relentlessly. We give ourselves to his will and not to our own. We all the more seek to please him, to know him, to trust him. Paul uses this language earlier in Romans when he speaks about the new life and saying, Since you are now dead to that former life, dead to sin, now you're alive to God. You've been consecrated, you see, separated. That's the word holy, to be separated out, to belong to him, and to have whole new influences in your life under God. He says, then let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God. As those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. See, that's the Christian life. Dedicating your heart. And the way Calvin, one of the illustrations of his life was hands holding a heart. But he says, your heart must run beyond and ahead of every other part of your life. In other words, so far from hypocrisy, are we, that we're just going through the motions. He says our heart should lead the way. We should be first and fully concerned about a heart that has a passion for God, a heart that is dedicated to him. Thoughts that are dedicated to him. Desires and motives that are dedicated to him. So. So. As you think of coming to Christ, as you think of the Christ in the cradle, you think of one utterly given up and consecrated to God. What's it going to be then if you're joined to him? What can we be? What else can we be? But but consecrated to his will. There's no thought of anything. else. There's no definition. There's no imagination of anything else. Not that we'll do that perfectly, but that's our calling. You see, that's what Christ was all about in his life. And, And he joins us to him to present us so that we have the hope of that glorious life lived to the will of God and not our own deathly will. How glorious is that set free From the implosion of self to the fruitful expansion of living for the will of God. So we are joined to his servanthood. We are joined to his consecration. And so we say to him that my life is in your hands. Take it. Do with it whatever you want. I give it up to you so that your will might be done with it. So that your will should be accomplished through me and in me. So that your name would be lifted up. I am no longer my own, but I belong to you. Here's how Paul viewed it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. That's how he saw it. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So what? Glorify God in your body. You're not your own. That's what the cradle means. This one was given up to God and he calls us and renews us and draws us, sanctifies us with the with himself so that we can can no longer be our own. Listen, one more passage that it just dots the landscape, but once you kind of think of this idea, I'll throw in a few other verses He says, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. He died for all. Why did he die? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died. That's why he died, so that you would now no longer live for yourself, but for him. What's that? Consecration, isn't it? So that now your life belongs to him. The glorious and final thing just to mention is that we're not only accepted in his consecration, accepted in his sacrificing servanthood, we're not only separated out by that servanthood. And might I ask you, are you separated out? You you can't be perfectly given up to his will. You and I never will be till the day we die. But are you running a... Calvin calls it in one of his works a, a backroom business. Or We might call it an under-table, under-the-table business. We we talked about it last week, didn't we, in terms of the bride looking around at other lovers even as she was at the altar. But he calls it running a backroom business undercover uh, so that on the surface, we look like we love Him, but really, our hearts are given away. But be encouraged. If He has consecrated you, what are the possibilities? You see, If He has separated you and joined you to Himself in a new life, What are the possibilities of your being a completely different person? Gradually, yes. Progressively, yes. But truly and sincerely and from the inside out. What are the glorious possibilities? You've been consecrated. Accepted, separated. And here's a third word to think about. Filled. Everything that Christ received from the Father, He only received that He might impart it to us. It says that He received the Spirit without measure. Why did He receive the Spirit without measure? So that He would give the Spirit to His people. Why does He have all the gifts and graces? So that He will impart them to us. We prayed about the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace and faithfulness. Well, these reside in their perfection in the person of Christ. And Calvin even points out that these reside fully in his humanity. And that's what's so encouraging is that there is humanity fully perfect, fully enriched with the spirit and all the graces of God. And that humanity imparts it to our humanity. Because we're joined to Him. What is your need in terms of spiritual growth? It's fullness. is in Christ. And the mystery and miracle of, of the Holy Spirit is that He opens the life of heaven and brings Christ down to us. So that Christ dwells in us. And His life is reproduced in us. And His character is reproduced in us. And the very fruit of the Spirit is what? It's the fruit of Christ showing itself in our lives. So you see, this union means that joined to Christ and his sacrifice, I'm accepted by God. I'm separated from the world unto God to be dedicated to him. And all that I need for that, I embrace in this consecration. All the power and energy and new affections and new motives. New self-control and disciplines and all that I need is found in Christ. And so I urge you as you worship the Christ child, see in him, see as it were this ocean, this, this unending orchard of everything that you could ever need to be a Christian, to be one dedicated to Christ. And if you are dedicated to anything else but the will of God. If you are calling something else your God, your idol. And I know there are many here that Christ is far away from you as a centerpiece. Christ is not the goal of your life. He's not the reason you get up every day seeking Him, wanting to please Him, wanting to be like Him. Entrusting your life, tasting Him, knowing Him. At the end of the third Indiana Jones movie, some of you have seen that movie, they're looking for the Holy Grail. So, this is the, the very blood of Christ, supposedly. Now, I'm not, of course, advocating, <laughs> just the movie. But it makes, there's a great point made here. As they come into this, finally find this room, there are goblets all over the room. And each one contains supposedly or possibly the Holy Grail. And as always in his movies, the evil guy has followed him along he couldn't find the place himself. But he comes on the heels of Indiana Jones and he breaks in to take over the scene. And he's going to select the goblet. And this is interesting because... He looks for the most beautiful goblet, the one that would be noble and dignified. And it's so much like our lives. You know, we we push Christ aside and we say, he can have nothing for me. There can't be joy and exhilaration and excitement and the very richness of life in him. This one who hung on a cross. This one who declares to me to be holy and pure, that life is the best. No, no, I'm going to strike out on my own. Well, so this guy takes the, the richest looking, most glorious goblet and he smiles. He can just see it and he drinks it down and expecting to be made alive. And if you said it, you know, that's pretty horrible scene. His whole body just burns up right before your eyes, you know. And you're just left like this and trembling almost at the severity that this man has just been dissolved before your eyes. And then the, the tender of the goblets, who's been there for several hundred years because of the grail himself. But he can't leave the area also because of the grail. You see this huge dissolving and you're just kind of trembling. It's quiet and he says, he chose poorly. Poorly. <laughs> One of the biggest understatements of any movie I've ever seen. But I hope you'll hear the seriousness of this. That's an understatement made. You could say he chose tragically. He chose horribly. And that'll mark every one of your lives. If you dedicate yourself to anything, Accept to Jesus Christ and participate in His dedication to God. If that becomes your life so that you are accepted in Christ and you are separated and consecrated to God through Christ. And you have all the fullness of Christ given to you to enable you to be Christ-like. If that is not your life, then it will be said in the end, He chose poorly. We had a wonderful moment last night pulling out twenty-year-old baby clothes for our potential new grandbaby in March. So we were pulling it, and here's our girl, Anna Kate. We we're pulling out all these little and Anna Kate would get them on the floor and you know, kind of dance them around and say, There I am, there, there's little Anna Kate, you know, and, and we're just filling up with tears, you know. And This life that I've gotten to live with this beautiful woman for 30 years. And to see now a daughter who is about to have a daughter by God's grace. And then you think of the darkness of the Playboy Mansion. You think there are any 30 year relationships there? you think there are any grandbabies and tears of affection and sacrifice? you think? Oh, the will of God is glorious. And I know, I, I, I hesitated to use that example because some of us, uh, we, we came from abominations by God's grace to even be married, okay? And we've all suffered in various ways and broken relationships. I'm not putting that as the only way to joy. I'm just saying as an example. However, we can manifest the will of God and, and enjoy this consecration to Him and the fullness of Christ, and the more we can by faith embrace Him. Oh, what a good choice <laughs> by His grace. Will you not in this season. Of the celebration of Christ, embrace that Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for such a Savior who would live for us, who would dedicate himself to the Father for us, who would die in our place. Who would be raised from the dead for us so that we could be raised from the dead. So that we could receive new life. Who is exalted to the right hand of God to reign over the earth. So that in him we could begin to reign in life. And one day enjoy that reign with Christ himself. Oh Lord. On paper what other choice is there but to give ourselves to this Christ. There is no other salvation. There is no other hope. There is no other life but Him. And yet all of us confess with the hymn writer that were it not for Your grace, we would have starved rather than come to this feast. The feast was set before us, but we would have refused to taste had You not drawn us to Yourself. Oh, Lord, if there are some now that, of all things in this season where Christ is supposedly celebrated, who are not given up to this Christ, who have not embraced Him and trusted Him, oh, Lord, move their hearts now. Shine into their hearts the glory of Jesus, that they will not be able to turn away from Him ever again. But they will delight in Him. And in Him they will be consecrated to God. And in Him they will find the treasures of Christ to live a whole new life. We praise you. We honor you. We worship you. In the name of Christ, Amen. Our last hymn.